0: Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. While we claim we know so much, the way we live proclaims our lack of faith and our shallow grasp about how God lives and works in our world. So let us confess the great incredulity. The great gap between what we. well you can always edit. The great gap between the way that we say that we live and the way in which our lives actually unfold. Let us pray together using the words printed for us in the bulletin. Gracious,
1: Gracious and loving Lord, Lord we, we have
0: come, come to your temple expecting our inheritance. Our inheritance. Yet we have not followed in your footsteps to get here. We have have neglected our neighbors, favoring the rich and forgetting the poor. We have split off into silos, disavowing our connections to others. We have have been dishonest in our deal-making and boastful when bearing fruit. In your grace, remember us, Lord. Put us back together again. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us, restore our faith, and forgive our sins for your name's sake. Amen and Amen.
2: Let us pray. O Lord our God, compel us all simply to take you at your word. Touch us with the Holy Spirit, we pray. And do not let us get away from your word without being caught by its promises and powerful joy. We pray this for our sake and for those whom we love. In the name of Jesus, amen. The scripture reading for today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over the course of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. It is not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight While he was going, and they were gazing up towards heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to
1: God. Our second scripture reading is from Proverbs 22, 6. Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are
2: old, they will not turn from it. This is the word of the Lord.
3: Good morning. morning. Starting my timer. Evans told me I have 12 to 15 minutes, so I'm going to stick to it starting now. (laughs) I bring you greetings from one of our national agencies, the Presbyterian Mission Agency. It is a delight to be here in Ann Arbor with you this morning. I have never been to the University of Michigan, and I uh, went out for dinner last night, and I got a bit of the, the vibe going on down uh, just a few blocks from here uh, on the main strip there where all the restaurants and everything was. And it's, it's, it's an exciting space to place to be, um, as is this place this morning, as we think about what it means to cultivate a sense of calling. When Evans first talked to me about coming to speak and preach to you all, he said, if you want to do the lectionary text and you could somehow work in cultivation and somehow stick in some college ministry stuff, that would be great. <laughs> and then I turned to the lectionary text and it's Luke 16:1 through 13. And if you haven't looked at it, I would encourage you to go home and over lunch, look at it and ask yourselves, what on earth does it mean? Because it has to be probably the hardest parable to understand ever. Um, if you haven't read it, it really you'll understand when you read it. But I want to uh, I want to share with you a few things um, this morning. I have spent the last uh, I've spent the last four years. I, I arrived in the Presbyterian Mission Agency in 2014, and I spent about four years as the national director of Ukirk Ministries, meaning I led our campus ministries uh, nationally from the from uh, from Louisville. Uh, Over the last uh, few years, my job has shifted and expanded, uh, and it now covers all of Christian formation, including youth, children, college, uh, camps and conference ministries, older adult ministries, uh, and Christian education. And in that, I think there is something that we can learn from this process that brings together this notion of cultivating, this cultivating of a call uh, with these verses and these passages that were read a few minutes ago. But before we look at Acts, let's take a moment and pray with me. God of grace, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be uh, be acceptable and pleasing before you. Allow your spirit to dwell in us that we might proclaim and bear witness to your kingdom in all that we do as we leave this place. pray these things in your son's name and all God's children said. Amen. Amen. So when you hear the word calling, what comes to mind? Rhetorical question. I no don't you know, shout out the answer or anything. But what comes to mind? Calling. And I think when I hear the word calling, I think of like a passion, something that motivates and pulls you and draws you in and gives you an impetus to why you're doing something. And when you think about the notion of cultivation, calling is pretty important. Because people don't just cultivate things randomly. No one wakes up in the morning and says, what am I going to cultivate today? <laughs> it's not a word we use. It's kind of become a little bit of a buzzword. And we like to, you know, these days, in terms of organic and natural and genuine, we use the word cultivation. In a world in a day and age where we're talking more about agriculture and the needs of our, of our culture and around, around sustainability, cultivation has become an important topic. But people don't just cultivate there actually has to be some sense of motivation or calling to begin the process of cultivation and carry it through to the end. In the Reformed tradition, when we think about that notion of calling, we actually can turn to one of our forebears, John Calvin. And in the Institutes of Christian Religion, he actually talks about several types of calling. He talks about specific calling, which often deals to those who feel called to full-time ministry, those who feel called to be engaged in a lifetime of service in that way. And that's what Calvin calls specific calling. And I don't really want to talk so much about that, but rather what Calvin calls general calling, which means what does it mean to be called as a Christian, and what does that calling entail? Almost a half a millennia later, we have the Reformed theologian Karl Barth, Address the very notion of calling again. And for Karl Barth, the calling is not just something that happens to ministers or to those seeking ministry, but something that pertains to anyone who makes a commitment to Christ. In fact, Barth asserts that a calling into ministry and a calling to a relationship with Christ actually changes the very nature of the way we see our lives. It's a complete reorientation (coughs) where everything you knew about yourself was reoriented towards a sense of calling and vocation. Now, we have to ask ourselves, what is that sense of calling and vocation? How does that play out? Well, for missional theologians, and this is not necessarily missionary who go to other countries, but for missional theologians who look at what the nature of calling and vocation is, They say calling, the calling of a Christian is to bear witness, is to proclaim the good news of salvation and reconciliation in this world in such a way that God's kingdom is ushered in through us. Sometimes when we think of our relationships with God, we think of more the benefits of Christ that our salvation brings. If I follow Christ, if I commit to Christ, I get eternal life. I get comfort in the time of distress. I get blessings of a community that surrounds me. But oftentimes when we really look at Scripture and dig a little deeper, that sense of calling also calls us to deny ourselves daily and to pick up our crosses. Christ said that we will be persecuted for our faith. And then our calling will take us, take us to the far ends of the earth. And I think that when we think about what happened in that verse in Acts 1, that last phrase, those last words, Christ is resurrected and in his in his new body. And I love the idea of that different metaphysical nature of Christ's body. It's like a, he was like a superhero at that point. He's walking through walls, he's appearing here, appearing there. And right before he flies up into the air, almost like Superman, Christ has a few words to say to his disciples. Not only does he say someone will come and help you, meaning the Holy Spirit to be baptized with fire, but I want you to bear witness. Where? In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria into the ends of the earth, which is pretty much everywhere. Now, what happens is this: is we're pretty good at Presbyterians in terms of we have a large world mission department. We send missionaries around the world. We're trying to cover that notion up to the ends of the earth. In the Matthew 25 vision that our national offices are embracing, we find that sense of calling to the marginalized, in that sense of go proclaim and bear witness to the Samaritans. In the sense of Judea, we think, oh, that's the surrounding area. We need to bear witness there. And I'm sure a church like First Presbyterian Ann Arbor has all sorts of tentacles out into this area. and things that you're doing and shaping and sharing and cultivating. But today, what I'd like you to think about is what your sense of cultivation of that sense of calling is related to this environment and this local setting that you live in. As I was down on your main strip there last night and I was passed by literally hundreds of college students and I watched homeless folk walk by asking for a dollar or a quarter or any spare change, it reminded me how in the face our calling can be. When we ask ourselves what our missional calling is, The very first thing we have to do is think about our Jerusalem. And in this context, it's the University of Michigan. That means that college ministry is not something that is relegated to Evans and his team. It means that college ministry and embracing this college community ought to be something that shapes the missional imagination and sense of calling of this whole congregation. Too many times in our age and stage ministries, we say if we hire a really great person to do that ministry, we've got it covered. Someone's taking care of that. But Christ says, look to your Jerusalem and ask, what is that Jerusalem? And I'm sure you don't have to walk more than a few blocks to say, our Jerusalem is homeless, is the poor, and probably predominantly A lot of college students who are wandering around this world and in this city and in this campus saying, Who am I? Where do I fit? What is the meaning of my existence on this earth? You see, that sense of calling begins in your local environment. That sense of proclamation and bearing witness begins in your back door. As you drive home in an hour or so, Who will you pass upon your way? Where is your missional proclamation as a covenantal community of faith? Not through a small subsection of your ministries here, but through the very witness that this congregation bears as a whole. When you think about cultivation, though cultivation is something that takes time, It's not something that happens overnight. You can throw around the word cultivation as much as you want, but it's something that happens over the space of weeks, months, and years. When I think of cultivation, I actually then turn to a passage that we had as the second reading. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up children in the way they should go, and when they are old, they won't depart from it. Oftentimes in our congregational life, we also segment the ministries of our youth and children. In fact, for the past 50 or 60 years, it has been the predominant model of ministry within our church to take our children and to make sure that they're formed in unique ways outside the main worshiping body. And I love the fact that the kids were here But one of the things that we have faced as we look at the national landscape of the church is that young people aren't sticking around in the church anymore. In fact, sometimes when we graduate them from confirmation, they leave. Sometimes it's when they go to college, they leave. And sometimes, I've got three minutes. (laughs) And sometimes it's when they graduate from college, they leave the church. And we say, well, you know what? Why don't these young people want to come back and fill our pews? And maybe at a congregation of this size, you don't feel that as much. But there are dozens upon dozens and scores upon scores of churches right now in our denomination who are saying, where did all the young people go? One of the areas of emphasis that I spend a lot of my time in in the national office is around a concept called intergenerational formation. And the basic argument of intergenerational formation is one of the reasons our young people are leaving the church is it was never theirs to begin with. And in fact, when we take our children and we make a different type of formation for them in a basement room, from children's ministry to youth ministry to college ministry to young adult ministry, we're creating what's called a one-eared Mickey Mouse what I like to call for us highbrow folks, so a Van Gogh Mickey Mouse. (laughs) But the notion of a Mickey Mouse ear says that this is the main worshiping body of the church, and we put our children and youth and college students out here on the fringe of our main worshiping body for the vast majority of their spiritual formation, which means their rhythms are different. Their modes of intersecting with the scriptures are different, and the way they understand their vision of the church ends up being different. And then we wonder why they don't want to come back in the main body when they're adults. Again, perhaps it was never theirs to begin with. So one of the things that we are arguing and going back to the baptismal vows that we make when you baptize a child and we turn to the congregation and say, do you vow to raise, cultivate, train your children in the faith? And we say, yes, we do. We have to pause and say, what have we done and is it working? We shouldn't be surprised when our young children and our young people want to bring coffee into the sanctuary. After all, we've been giving them animal crackers and apple juice since they were three. Their formation always has food attached to it. But what we know when we think about identity formation is that when we participate in central Christian practices, like the Eucharist, like passing of the peace, like the prayers of confession, like the doxology and offering, like hearing the benediction, that those are practices and rhythms that ingrain themselves into the memories of these young people and sustain them through the rest of their lives. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have children, youth, and young adult in, in ministries like college ministry. We need those ministries. What I'm saying to you today is those cannot be the primary way we form our children and youth in the faith. Large churches don't feel the crunch now, but what we're looking at is a national epidemic of not having a, of a millennial generation and younger in the church today. And if we're going to take seriously our call and that we make in baptism, To cultivate a sense of calling, we have to begin with that sense of calling that falls upon us and ask ourselves, what does it call us to cultivate in the lives of our own children? So that when they are adults and when they are sitting in these pews and when they see those college students walking around the campus, that sense of cultivation, that sense of calling, that sense of missional vocation a proclamation of the word, a bearing witness of God's reconciliation in this world is second nature to them. Because everything they know comes from this covenant community. Cultivation takes time. It takes work. It takes dedication. And it takes a deep sense of conviction that Christ says happens every day as we pick up our cross, as we deny ourselves and as we follow Him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost.
1: Amen. Let us continue in an attitude of prayer. God Most High, God with us, we praise you with every word we speak and with every moment we fall silent. You hear our prayer and sustain us along with all living things. You forgive our sins and bring us close to live in the goodness of your holy presence. We pray for your awesome deeds of salvation for us and to all the farthest edges of the earth. With the strength that raised mountains calm the roaring seas of conflict. Calm the waves of violence and oppression. Draw all nations and peoples close to each other. We pray for everyone who longs for your joy, for those who are sick or in pain from morning till night, for those whose grief weighs them down, for those who hunger and thirst for guidance, righteousness, for subsistence. Rain down your love once again, O God. Soften our hearts so our lives can bear your fruit. Crown our lives with your goodness, and let everything we do overflow with blessings for your people. We pray in the one who brings us joy, Jesus, the Christ, who taught us to pray, our Father, Amen. who art in heaven.